Hello, and welcome to the Southern New England Ministry Network podcast. Today, we're introducing a new series focused on minister health. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear from a diverse group of ministers who also serve as counselors and professionals in the mental health field. To tell you more, we have our network director of minister care, Kristen Causey, here with us. Thanks, Andrew. I am so excited about this series. I wanted to produce this series for two main purposes. First, I want to introduce you to our newly developed minister health team. They will serve with me in a variety of ways, consulting, resourcing, and vision casting for the area of minister care. And uh, second, this series will serve as a springboard to important minister health topics and share resources that we already have available to you and some that are coming down the line. The conversations I had with each team member were so good. It was difficult to end them. So make sure you tune in. Each episode has a ton of wisdom to encourage us as we pursue wholeness as ministers. So today we are meeting Dr. Kristen Kinsevich. Dr. Kristen is a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed minister in our network. She has served as a clinical counselor in the church setting since 2005. She has a PhD in counselor education and supervision from Regent University and is joining the graduate counseling faculty at Evangel University this summer. She is also an author and speaker focused mainly on the integration of faith and mental health. This conversation was so good. Kristen offers insight from her doctoral research and study on help-seeking barriers for ministers, addressing ways we can be more intentional about care for ourselves and more. So we hope you enjoy. Well, Kristen, it is so good to have you today. I'm excited about this uh, summer series that we're doing. And, you know, you and I have had uh, lots of different conversations about minister care and minister health. You've already been such a resource to our network in a variety of different ways. And I'm thankful for your commitment to join the minister health team, uh, this new team that we're working on to help resource what we're doing here in the network. And I know you are moving to Missouri very soon on Monday, actually, just a few days away. Um, but you have committed uh, just to stay in connection and in relationship with uh, Southern New England and um, it's home, right? So we're so grateful for that. Um, You are family to us and we're grateful that you're going to continue partnering with us in this way. So I'm just going to dive into the conversation. Uh, You know, one of the first questions I like to ask is when you think about minister care and minister health, you know, what first comes to mind, kind of those first immediate thoughts for you? Yeah, you know, I think the word identity comes to mind first, honestly, because I was thinking about when when pastors and ministers enter into ministry or even prepare to enter into ministry, mm-hmm. right? Often there's some kind of calling, either like a specific moment or a sure. sense of calling. And there's a sense of identity, right? Vocation is another word that we could throw in there. Mm -hmm. And I think um, when we think about minister health, those words are so intricately connected to me because we think about, you know, I don't know anyone that says I'm going into ministry for all the things it's going to do for my spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in it for me Mm -hmm. and anything else that happens out of it is is just a blessing. Like usually we hear things like, I feel like God wants me to do X, Mm -hmm. Y, or Z. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. And so, you know, I think it often is wrapped up in the minister identity Mm -hmm. that I'm just from a starting point of healthy. And that's just assumed 
And then there's not necessarily something I'm going to do about that to maintain that mm. or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's just, I have to be okay at all times. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that mindset of what the pastor identity is, or even the vocation of a minister um, really can get in the way. And, and I think that's the mindset that we need to address a little bit. So yeah, that's, that's my first thought. Yeah, no, that, that makes so much sense because I think as you're talking about it, the identity is the baseline, right? Our identity in Christ being anchored in that identity in Christ. And, and yet that takes intentionality in our, our sanctification uh, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, our process of transformation. And so oftentimes uh, we can kind of separate that out uh, and we can get all wrapped up in our identity as a minister, in our role, in our position, in our title. We all are in danger of that. That's a temptation for every single person, no matter how healthy or unhealthy your uh, minister health or minister care practices are. And so starting at a baseline with that um, in terms of caring for ourselves as ministers and and making sure that we have healthy practices, I think is really important too. That's good. Um, Mm -hmm. another question I love to ask you, um, because you and I've talked about this a lot in your work and your PhD work, um, and dissertation, you know, you were doing a lot of surveying and a lot of research, um, understanding the help seeking barriers for ministers. And so we've talked about some of these things, um, just different primary concerns that you have for ministers and their health. And of course you're coming at this, not just as a a clinical professional, but you're also coming at it as a minister yourself, you know, someone who's been serving in ministry for a long time. And so uh, what do you see as that primary concern for ministers and their health? You mean in terms of like presenting problems, so to speak, or kind of what things are they dealing with? Yeah. 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 I mean, definitely in my research, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence um, that, you know, has been studied. No surprise, right. It's logical that, ministers are, you know, at high risk for burnout. They have high stress mm-hmm. jobs. Um, they, they do have higher rates of anxiety and depression than even kind of the, the normal population. Um, but I think, um, and, and marriage problems get a lot of press right. because those are the ones that were like, it's, it's acceptable to talk about that, I guess. So yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, marriage counseling, that's fine. But other kinds of counseling, maybe mm-hmm. not, you know, um, but honestly, you know, I think the unique um, occupational hazards of mm-hmm. ministry is probably if you kind of boil it down to where, what kinds of things predict depression mm. um, or anxiety. Um, some of my research looked at that as well with occupational distress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's things like, you know, conflict in a congregation or the, you know, the fact that you're trying to please everybody all the time. So expectations and kind of, um, you know, the fact that your credentials might be, or might feel like they're on the line if you mess up or, you know, the, the idea that your congregation could vote you out if Mm. they don't like you, you know, there's, and maybe even your housing is tied to your job or, you know, different things like that. Right. And the way that family life is so intertwined as well, the risk of losing your job is extremely high. Mm -hmm. And they see that um, with the military and police as well, that they have some similar help seeking barriers because um, there's so much at stake, like your entire Mm -hmm. life could go up in flames in a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think just that occupational stress contributes to um, depression and anxiety and things as well and burnout. 
Um, So that's definitely something we have to keep in mind. Yeah. So as ministers, we have our livelihood wrapped up um, in all that we're doing in our profession. We have our identity and like our faith in Christ is wrapped up in that. We have our community is wrapped up in our roles as ministers and then our families, you know, and their community and how they're integrating their faith and following Christ is all wrapped up uh, in the roles that we are serving, whether in missions or in ministry and nonprofit work, et cetera. So then, you know, sounds like what you're saying is that we have this kind of typical occupational stress, occupational hazards that just can create enormous pressure on a regular basis. Again, something that none of us are exempt from these pressures that are kind of weighing in on us. And so that can lead to, if it's not cared for, if it's not intentionally um, monitored and managed well, it sounds like it can lead to things like depression and anxiety and serious burnout. You know, there's a difference between being tired and stressed and being completely burnout or dangerously tired. So, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping that in mind, like what, um, you know, what are some of the things that you would suggest or recommend um, to be preventative in this? I mean, we don't, Sometimes we do get a point, get to a point where we are burnout and we are stressed and we're in crisis and some things are falling apart and that's when we seek help. That's when we seek support. But what can we do in a preventative way to manage these things on a regular basis beyond our spiritual rhythms? Of course, we know our spiritual rhythms is an important part of that. Right. Yeah. Obviously the self-care aspects for sure. But um, in my study, what I actually found the two biggest factors related to well-being and seeking help, things like, you know, I would be willing to go to counseling kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two two major things. One was the number of close friends that a pastor has, and the second related essentially to cognitive flexibility. So the more kind of entrenched and black and white your views are, the, the less likely you are to seek help, uh, the more mm-hmm. likely you are to have poor well-being measures. Um, And same, if you had two friends or more, you were much more likely to be doing well Mm -hmm. um, mentally, and you were more willing to seek counseling for yourself if needed. Mm -hmm. So those who had one friend or zero friends Mm -hmm. were much worse off. Mm -hmm. Um, Those who were black and white thinking, much worse off. So I think just targeting those two areas, you know, I think it's really important for pastors Partly to have pastor friends, like, okay, people who get it, but also like just friends, you know, Mm -hmm. some guy to play racquetball with, maybe Mm -hmm. your neighbor, you know, I think sometimes we err on the side of all of our community must be Mm -hmm. kind of like from our little tiny circle. And then like, you have no outlet for anywhere else, you know, so kind of not putting all of your eggs in one community basket, but saying, okay, I need two, three, maybe even four friends that I hang out with that, you know, maybe a couple of them I can confide in a little bit and trust, you know, to kind of talk through some things. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about prevention, it's not waiting until your life is on fire to say anything to somebody. And so, you know, if it helps to have a neighbor that you go play racquetball with and say, oh my gosh, my, my job is so stressful. And maybe he's a business guy and he says, yeah, me too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to only be that you're friends with other pastors but sure. having that number up is really what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really looking at cognitive flexibility. Can we kind of sit with the tension of not everything is black and white, you mm-hmm. know, and there's not always a right and wrong. Yes. There's a lot of things that are right and wrong sure. and we don't need to abandon our values to say, 
okay, there's a lot that's not necessarily a moral choice. There mm-hmm. are some things that are are fluid and flexible. And if I can think with flexibility, if I can adapt well, mm-hmm. if I can be less rigid about who I am and going back to that identity question, you know, mm-hmm. a pastor must be this, you know, strong or whatever, mm-hmm. getting counseling means I'm weak. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. kinds of rigid thinking, you know, is, is really harmful to you. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can educate ourselves and practice that flexibility kind of in our daily thought life, mm-hmm. the better off we'll be. Yeah, that's good. So in terms of co- cognitive flexibility, it sounds like you're talking um, about things like mindsets and worldview mm-hmm. and kind of these like this framework that we have for different areas of our lives. So one of the things you mentioned was, um, you know, being rigid in your mindset about counseling. And I know that Uh, One of um, the help-seeking barriers that you've mentioned to me before as you were doing your research that came out was that it's difficult for, and again, I'm not sure that I'm going to explain this right, so I'm going to ask you to kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. help me with it, but um, something to the extent of it's difficult for caregivers or helping professionals to seek help themselves or seek care themselves. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, And by the way, definitely solo pastors had a harder time seeking help for themselves than pastors who had some other pastoral coworkers. So that's an important thing to notice Mm -hmm. as well. If, if some of the pastors listening out there are, you know, it's, it's you and that's it. Um, Not only do Mm -hmm. you have fewer friends maybe that you're interacting with because you don't have coworkers, but you're also more likely to see yourself in a caregiver role and have a harder time, like taking a break or asking for help. Um, but yeah, in terms of other barriers, I mean, there were a lot of things that stopped people from counseling. Um, you know, things like if you are really pro mental health and you've networked with a bunch of the Christian counselors in your area, then when you need help, who do you go to? Cause all your prisoners are going to those counselors, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think telehealth has opened up a new opportunity for us to expand a little bit more and, um, maybe not be as like concerned of like, okay, I'm sitting in a counselor's waiting room. And what if I run into a parishioner that I just Mm -hmm. sent over here to this counselor, you know, there's a little bit more, um, privacy with the teletherapy and it also opens up geographically any licensed counselor within your whole state. So Mm -hmm. whether it's Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, you know, any counselor can see you and some counselors might be licensed in more than one state. And so mm-hmm. it just changes the, I have to drive there. I have to have time sure. to do that. Um, and a lot of counselors do take insurance. Some don't, I think that's the other big barrier is cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't necessarily realize, especially in Massachusetts, I'm not sure about Connecticut and Rhode Island and what the health insurance picture is like over there, but in Massachusetts, you have to have health insurance and it has to cover mental health. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, you do have the option to use your insurance to cover most, if not all of the, the cost of counseling. And mm-hmm. so I think the other thing that I, I think we need to demystify a little bit, well, two pieces. One is um, just non-Christian counseling in general. I think there is a lot of barrier there of like, I would never see anyone who was not a Christian. In fact, mm-hmm. 73% of our pastors said that they would not consider seeing someone who is not a Christian. Mm -hmm. I think there are certain types of therapy that it doesn't matter if the therapist is a Christian or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly um, someone who's trained in EMDR and trauma work 
um, somebody who's trained um, in, you know, certain kinds of exposure therapy. So if you're dealing with something like OCD Mm -hmm. or a phobia, certain kinds of anxiety, like there are some really um, specific therapies that can be helpful. And it's a little different than tell me how your week was and kind of influencing maybe your philosophical thinking on something Mm -hmm. like that. So there are some things that, you know, even on a secular platform are helpful, Mm -hmm. but the other piece to that is the medication. 33% of pastors said they would not consider taking medication if they needed it. Mm -hmm. And we're talking of course about like psychotropic medications, depression, antidepressants and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that percentage was higher than those who said they would not use secular self-help books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I know there's a lot of really weird secular sure. self-help books out there, but if pastors would rather do that than consider medication, then we have some work to do in yeah. de-stigmatizing medication and kind of what it's for. Mm-hmm. What are the differences between an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety medication? I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people think it's like, popping a happy pill and avoiding all your problems. And that's just not how antidepressants work. So um, just being open to some of those other types of things could decrease some of the barriers there. Yeah, no, that's good. Because I think, again, it goes back to um, the cognitive flexibility that you were talking about that as Mm -hmm. if we can kind of, like you said, demystify or destigmatize these mindsets that we do have um, that often are, you know, coming from our childhood and or the faith culture that we grew up in or, and the culture that we grew up in, then we can start breaking down some of that, um, the uh, rigid ways of thinking and open ourselves up to new possibilities. And I think it also points to um, the preventative measures as well. Like, let's not get to a place where we are in such a place of chronic depression or chronic anxiety or chronic burnout, um, where we're needing, you know, some of these more intensive measures. Let's implement preventative measures in our lives right now, healthy practices, you know, in terms of our spiritual rhythms, in terms of Sabbath rest, silence, solitude, um, but also emotional intelligence, learning more about our emotions and um, understanding them and respecting them and learning how to emotionally regulate all those kinds of things. I think it speaks to preventative work as well, where we're getting close on time. I mean, again, we could sit and talk for so long um, about these things. And um, the cool thing is that this podcast series that we're doing with our minister health team is just the beginning of conversations that we're going to be having uh, you guys being willing to be a resource to us and your expertise and your education, your background, your passions that God has given you. We appreciate that. Um, is there, you know, one final thought that you would share? Um, you know, this is just something that I really believe uh, ministers need to be aware of or something I really want them to know. Um, just kind of summarize that in a, a statement or two. Mm. Well, I think I would say that God did not call you into something for the purpose of you burning out in it. Mm. And so God deeply cares about ministers' souls. And at no point does he say, you know what, you're, you're the one that I'm, you know, going to basically disregard your well-being for the sake of all these others. Mm. I know it feels like that in ministry sometimes, like, okay, I'm just kind of in maybe a martyrdom complex a little bit, like I'm just laying down my life. Yes, we are called to take up our crosses, to lay down our lives, to follow that image of Christ, but we are not Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we do have certain needs that need to be maintained or we will burn out. And I don't think that God has called anyone into something so that you can, you know, burn out or be depressed or not 
do well yourself, you know, there is spiritual vitality that's available to you even as a minister. So I think just not forgetting that. Yeah, no, that's good. Such wisdom. Thank you so much, Kristen, uh, for your time today. Thank you because I know your time is precious right now as you're making this big transition. We'll be praying for you and praying blessings on this new journey. Evangel University is so, um, such a gift in you coming there and and working with them. And then we have a gift in being able to continue the partnership across uh, the U.S. So thank you so much, Kristen. Yeah, thank you.